Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's always our uh, pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we are continuing into this uh, wonderful um, theme, Three Cosmic Messages. We looked at some very important aspects of the gospel, looking into the judgment and uh, what that means to fear God. Today we are approaching a very special Bible study entitled The Sabbath and the End. I believe this is very good to tackle because it's for the time we live in. And my dear friend, I'm inviting you to be part of this program. You know that you can send you a text message with your thoughts, a comment in regard to what we are talking about. To do that, you need to send a text message to 4 888 On the same number, we are going to come to you just a little bit later with the free offer which we have for you today. A wonderful book entitled Great Controversy Countdown. I'd like to say hello to our panel today. Ken, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be here in this very, very significant study we're going to look into today. And hi, Joe. It's good to have you back with us, too. <laughs> thank you, Nick. It's always a pleasure. Jerry, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, looking forward to it. Lija, it's good to have you part of this discussion today. Thank you. I'm very happy. Len, thank you for joining us. Hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. Brenton, it's good to have you part of the program. Thank you, Nick. And um, I just pray that this message that we're sharing today will be a blessing and a challenging one for those who are listening. And hello, Denise. It's good to have you part of the program with a full panel today. Hello, Nick. Thank you. I'm very happy and privileged to be here. Now, Denise, we want to thank you uh, from the beginning that you took an extra time to prepare this um, Bible study. You are going to facilitate this discussion. Uh, please take us through. Thank you, Nick. Many people in our world today think that it doesn't matter what day we worship on as long as we worship. The majority of Christians worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because they believe that that's a significant day because Jesus rose from the dead on that day. Only a minority worship on the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, or God's biblical Sabbath. The seventh day of creation week was established by God as a special day to commemorate creation and for God to meet with human beings, the creatures that he had created, for companionship. It was the climax of creation week, a day for spiritual and physical renewal and to remember who our Redeemer is, which is Jesus, not ourselves. Over the centuries, the Sabbath has been changed from the original day, Saturday, the seventh day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week, and yet God never instructed that it be changed. When we consider the Sabbath from Genesis to Revelation, it is obvious why the fourth commandment instructed mankind to remember the Sabbath day, for indeed mankind has over time forgotten the significance of this day, both from God's word and as a special day of worship between man and his God. When we consider the end of time, as mentioned in Revelation, we see that there is a call to re-establish the worship of the Creator on the seventh day that was set apart at the end of creation week, mentioned in Genesis. Obviously, this is important in our relationship with God, who has not changed the day in which he wants his followers to worship him. The Sabbath is at the centre of the great controversy over Christ's worthiness to receive worship 
as our Creator and our Redeemer. Lynn, would you please offer a prayer for the panel, but also for those who are listening? Yes. Our dear Father in heaven, we as the panel today represent you, that we are going to share with our listeners your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit might guide us. And as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. I want to pray for all our listeners. They too will follow you no matter what, because it's more important to do what you require than to do our own things. So we just pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us and also to convict our listeners of the truth of your word and what they should do about it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah 43, we find a picture of Israel and God's relationship in the Old Testament. This chapter establishes why God demands that we worship him. Jerry, can you please read Isaiah 43.7 and answer the question about why God wants us to worship him and make a comment on that? Sure. In verse 7 of Isaiah 43, we read, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, it gives us uh, a lot more information as well regarding the relationship between God and man. It says here, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your children home from distant parts of the east and from the west. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honoured and I love you. It's very clear that um, you know God has a very, very special love for his people. And we are all his people, his children. We are made by God. Uh, in fact, um, he is not only our maker, but uh, our saviour. So he paid for us as well. So we are fully and totally his. Um, I, I see a, a love that God expresses here in these words like no other for his children. He wants to have that connection with his people. Jerry's read from Isaiah that God is worthy of worship because he made us, but it also comments on the fact that he has redeemed humanity by giving his own life. If we look in 1 Corinthians and in Matthew, it speaks about our redemption. Nick, can you look at these texts and talk about what they reveal about the redeeming of God's creation? Absolutely, Denise. Very interesting um, passages in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians in particular, if I read um, verse 20, I'm reading from um, English Standard Version. That's why it's important to compare the Bible here because different translations uh, presenting a little bit different. In this one, this translation, it says, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Is anybody else on the panel having the other translation which can read this uh, verse? Because I just want to make a point in regard to, uh, to this uh, passage. Anybody have uh, King James? Yes. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Is that interesting that it says that in your spirit also? 
let me give you just a brief background of the this uh, verse from uh, 1 Corinthians. It talk about the condition of the Corinthians. They have a lot of problems among themselves, judging each other, bringing them before the court. They were living in a life full of uh, idolatry, Im- immorality, sexuality, all those things. And Apostle Paul is bringing to their attention that to be able to glorify God, to worship God, we need to glorify him in our body and in spirit. It's a pity that some translations don't uh, translate that in the spirit, because, as I said, this passage is bringing to our attention the condition in which we live. And we are studying today the Sabbath and the end. How I understand in the body, because it speaks there that it's what we do with our body, what uh, we even put in our body by eating, for example. We represent God. But with what we say, the Bible says that we need to be in one accord, in one spirit, if you like, to present the truth as it is in the Bible. We need to come to that uh, point of agreement if we look at the Bible. If we come with our own understanding, we'll have so many differences. That's why we have so many differences, uh, Denise and the panel. And that's why so many people don't understand the word of God as God intended for us to know it. When it says in the spirit, it means also that we are teachers. If you look in uh, Peter and other parts of the Bible, it says that we are ministers. And now in the book of uh, Matthew, in chapter uh, 20, verse 28, which you mentioned, Denise, what it says there, that Jesus didn't come to be ministered, but he came to minister to others. I mean, to me and you, we are called to do the same thing. To worship God is not just to go to church. Doesn't matter if it's on Sabbath or on Sunday or on Friday, or whatever it is. That's not only the meaning of worshiping God. To worship God means to represent him in our life with everything what we do in our body and in spirit. Yes, Nick. And there's also the, there's two ideas as well in that text, what, what we do, but also what God has done for us in that he has bought us um, by dying for us and he's given his life as a ransom. So there's there's a response that he wants from us. So God's love for us compels us to worship him. In Revelation 14, 6 and 7, we see the creation aspect of worshipping God. But what about the redemptive aspect of these texts? Ken, can you have a look at them and talk about the aspect of redemption that they refer to? Certainly. We look at uh, Revelation chapter 14 and verses 6 to 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, every kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of water. Now this message is intertwined. It cannot be changed or separated. The everlasting gospel is called called to mankind to return to God, accept Jesus as our Saviour, and respect God and give glory to him. Denise, you mentioned the word redemption. This is not a word you hear too much these days. It means an act of redeeming or atoning for a fault or a mistake. 
or the state of being redeemed, deliverance or rescue. We see and read about God rescuing mankind from our sins, which lead to the everlasting death through Jesus. That is God's part. But we have to, we have a part to play as well. We need to acknowledge him and worship him as he is outlined in the Bible. It is important to note that the fourth commandment is the only one that starts off with remember. The Sabbath day, the day to keep it holy, which started back in the Garden of Eden. Many people think it does not matter what day you worship God, but God makes it very clear that Saturday is God's chosen day, and nowhere in the Bible do you find any reference to changing it to Sunday. As we read in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Thank you, Ken. So when we look at these texts from Revelation, we can see that the gospel is not just about creation, worshipping God because he's our creator, but also because he is our saviour from sin, from bondage, from death. And so our response to him is to worship him and because he has created and redeemed us. Joe, in Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15, we see a picture of deliverance by God from Satan and his attacks. Can you have a look at these texts and um, talk to us about why God deserves our worship? Absolutely. I'll read the texts, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Okay, so we have been rescued from sin and death and given an opportunity to accept healing from sin and eternal life at an enormous personal cost to God, and and it's such a privilege to have such a good God on our side working tirelessly to free us, enlisting all of his angels in this battle for our souls. Now, when when we realize and begin to understand what has been done and is being done on our behalf, on my behalf, it is no longer a duty to worship but a privilege and worship is spontaneous. Now, imagine suffering the worst sort of terminal disease, suffering without a cure and a doctor or someone heals you and you are as good as new, completely recovered. Would you think it a duty or a burden to thank them? Or would no amount of gratitude be, gratitude be enough? Now, thank God that he has broken the power of him who holds the power of death. That's what our verse says. And in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. And I'll read John 10.10. 10. The thief, that is the devil, cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy And we see all that around us day in, day out and on the news. And Jesus speaking of himself, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan is the thief, the enemy, and Jesus is our saviour. And that is why he deserves our adoration and heartfelt worship. Our response then to God's deliverance for us from sin is to bow down and worship him. So um, in Matthew 11.28, Len, uh, it talks about the redemption aspect as well, but it also talks about an idea of rest. Can you have a look at this text and talk to our listeners about this idea of rest? Yes, but I'd just like to back up a little first. Revelation 14 verse 7. 
is a call for people in these times, the latter days of Earth's history, to worship him. And I want to give you eight reasons why we should worship God. Number one, because who he is, and it identifies who he is as creator in Revelation 14.7. We worship God because of what he's done for us. We have been redeemed. We could not do it ourselves. We've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. And we worship God because he commands us to worship. We worship God to bless and honour him. We worship God because we love him. We worship God because what he's doing on this earth. Now I want to go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. These are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me. That's an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, this is a promise. It's an invitation with a promise. So why do human beings need rest? Well, I tell you what, sin is hard. Sin makes life difficult. So to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness relieves us of the responsibility of our sins. It relieves us. We get rest through Jesus from trying to do everything ourselves. You know, there's an old saying, a burden shared is a burden halved. To take it to the Lord gives us rest. And some of us have to struggle with life just to keep afloat, so to speak. In Jesus, we have rest from that. We can take it to him. I can tell you right now, of somebody who I know who has had some really great difficulties, and I can tell you that things are looking up for that person. God has done great things for her. She's been faithful. And also, much of life for many people doesn't have much meaning. People go through the motions. You might be going through some of these motions yourself, listeners. But coming to Jesus, we have rest in him. We have new meaning. And I can speak personally. I don't know how I would have coped if I didn't have a God to worship who's been faithful and good to me. And I can recommend, come to me, said Jesus, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's given me rest and blessed me. And you can have exactly the same experience, but you have to come first. Thank you, Len. So redemption is the essence of the book of Revelation along with worship. Worship is related to the context of who we belong to. 
Revelation also reveals the nature of Jesus, his work, his identity. They are inseparable from each other. Redemption is inseparable from creation and the experience of salvation and worship. And when I talk about worship, I'm talking about worship on the Sabbath day. Brenton, can you read Revelation 15, 2 to 4 and comment on this worship service? And also, can you comment on the uh, Song of Moses and its significance to this worship yes. revelation? Mm. Certainly. Let's start with um, perhaps the Exodus one, because in the book of Revelation, as you said, Denise, it mentions the Song of Moses and the Lamb. What was the Song of Moses and the Lamb? It was a song of deliverance. It was sung and danced by Israel after God had rescued them from the Egyptians during uh, their crossing of the Red Sea. Now, it's rather interesting that in Exodus 14, verse 31, it talks about how as a result of God's rescue uh, of Israel from the Egyptians, uh, it says they believed the Lord and the, they believed his servant Moses. It was, as I said, a song of deliverance. But when you come to Revelation 15, verse 2 to 4, I will read those, uh, Denise, as quickly as I can and summarize them. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. Those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass. Having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, uh, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. What's interesting about this, Denise, is that those key words, fear, glorify, worship, judgment, are all found in Revelation 14, verse 7. Now, we know that when the original was written, uh, there were no chapter divisions. So John, in writing Revelation, is alluding back to this again. The difference here is that the group that we're um, studying in Revelation 15 are those who live right at the end of time, those who are God's people, we believe they are ourselves and those of our listeners who have accepted Jesus as their saviour, and they are safe from two things. It says, number one, that they are safe from the wrath of the beast and his image, and also they are safe because where they're standing on the sea of glass is obviously a heavenly vision, a heavenly scene. They are obviously doing this. Um, they are safe from the temptations of Satan. So there's a double-fold deliverance here safe from the beast and his image, safe from the mark of the beast, safe from the seven last plagues, safe from uh, the death decree, but also they're safe from Satan mm -hmm. and his temptations. They're never more going to be tempted uh, by those things. The Sabbath, Denise, we know is a mark of God's creation, but it's also a mark of the finished work. And uh, Revelation 15, verse 2 to 4, these people are praising God. They're using terms like um, great and marvellous. Um, in verse 1, it talks about the seven last plagues being great and marvellous. But then down in verse 4, it talks about God's works being marvellous. Basically, summarising all of that, God's judgments are manifest not only to the heavenly beings, but they also are carried out here on earth. And those who worship God and the symbol of God's worship 
is keeping the Sabbath day holy, they are the people who are described in verses two to four. And I think that's wonderful. And it's something that our listeners can also have a part in. Yes, it is wonderful. Thank you, Brenton. So worship then is not just about singing and shouting hallelujah for deliverance. Um, what else is it about? Were there specific instructions about how to worship that God gave to Israel? Jerry, can you have a look at Deuteronomy 5 and those texts and comment on God's instructions about worship for the Israelites? Yes, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we start with these words. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord your God has made a covenant with you in Horeb. So first of all, I'd like to comment on, on the words, learn them and be careful to observe them. I think this is a very specific instruction that they don't become careless and neglect to implement what uh, the Lord has been telling them. So there's a lesson for us as well. We can get, as Christians, sometimes we can sort of taper off and get a bit sloppy, a bit uh, careless in the way we uh, worship our God. So that's one thing. And then if you move on to verses 12 to 15, that's very interesting too, because again, it's, it says this is basically a repetition of the Ten Commandments, and specifically the Sabbath Commandments, where it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there's an interesting element here that is introduced, and that is of the Sabbath being a sign of deliverance so that people were free to worship again on the Lord's Sabbath day. Now, Egypt is often seen as a symbol of sin. And of course, when the children of Israel were in Egypt and bondage, they weren't free to worship on the Lord's Sabbath day. And so God took them out of Egypt, as we read here, and enabled them again to worship him. Now, some people would argue, well, this is only for the Israelites. That's, that's ancient history. How do we know that the, um, that what we've just been reading about the, the Lord's Sabbath day uh, applies to people today? Interesting that it's also referred to as the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And we find that in the, the Ten Commandments as they are recorded in Exodus 20 as well. It's not man's Sabbath, not the Sabbath that uh, was thought up by any particular personal group of people it's the sabbath of the lord your god that's very significant do we have the same god today do we worship the same god today as as a christian community that, that the israels uh, the israelites uh, have surely he's the same when jesus was here was he not called emmanuel god with us and if jesus is god wouldn't he be the one to to tell us listen there's there's the Sabbath that the Israelites had in the uh, Old Testament era no longer applies. Not a word uh, was spoken by Jesus uh, to that effect. Still, 
the Sabbath. God doesn't change. The Sabbath still applies. And um, you could you could actually say that the Sabbath is also for us a sign of deliverance. We're not in Egypt, literally, but if Egypt was a symbol of sin, we've been, if you like, delivered from the the domination of sin in our lives. Sin has sin shall have no dominance over us. I think the Bible says I'm paraphrasing, but uh, if we embrace the Lord's Sabbath, then we experience deliverance from the, the, the dominating power of sin in our lives and we experience the rest that God wants us to have today as well. Lynn and Nick, you'd like to say something? If you go in that order, that would be great. Yes. Now, there are many people, many Protestant people, who claim that Sunday is the Lord's day because Jesus rose on Sunday morning. Well, that's fair enough, I suppose. If you ask them to prove it, they'll very often turn to Revelation chapter 1, I think it's verse 9, where the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, you know what? That proves nothing. Identify which is the Lord's day. But I'd like to share with you and listeners if you've got a pen and paper handy, I suggest you write this down because I think this is very important. The Gospel of Mark, the end of chapter 2. That's Mark 2, verses 27 and 28. Here's Jesus talking, and it says, he said rather, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now here's the punch. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now it identifies which is the Lord's day, but I want to add to that. Here's another text for you to write down, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the Lord's day honourable, and if you honour it by not going your own way, not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord, and so on and so on. Here again, the Sabbath is called the Lord's Day. Sunday is not the Lord's Day. It's the day of when Jesus rose from the dead. The Sabbath was, is, and will remain the Lord's Day. So therefore, those of you who think that you're doing the right thing by worshipping on Sunday, while that might be sort of okay, it's not quite good enough. As my dear friend, you are listening to Bible Study from South Australia, and we are talking today about uh, the Sabbath and the end. I would like you to consider an offer which we have for today. And that's the book, The Great Controversy, Countdown. Understanding God's master plan for salvation, to understand the Great Controversy theme, is to peek behind the curtains at what is really happening in the ongoing war between good and evil, between life and death, between God and Satan. This precious truth illuminates not only our own understanding of God's plans 
for the planet, but his plans for each one of us. Please uh, send us a text message with the code SAB1 to 04888-80831. And we'll be very happy to share this with you. I'd like to just mention that we are talking today about worshiping God, even through observing the Sabbath. I'd like to say this. You may have a question in your mind, maybe asking yourself, why is God requesting us to worship him? I'd like to suggest is because he doesn't want us to worship something else. He wants to protect us. He wants us to worship him, the creator and the redeemer. But if we don't do that, even through the Sabbath, we may be very much in the danger of worshiping anything else but God. Thank you for that, Nick. A Sabbath worship, therefore, was related to deliverance and salvation, and the Israelites needed God to indicate to them how to worship him on the Sabbath day. They were delivered from slavery and bondage, so worship on this day would be an expression of their devotion and their thanks to God. Let's read about the Sabbath in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Can you please read this, Lydia? Yes, sure. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the fourth commandment. It talks about the Sabbath, which is the center of the Decalogue. So it's a symbol of our rest in Jesus, the Sabbath. It's a special sign of loyalty to our Creator, It talks about the true rest from righteousness by works which is found in him. It calls us to rest in his love and care each Sabbath. So Sabbath is a symbol of rest, not works. It's a symbol of grace, not legalism. A symbol of assurance, not condemnation. Of depending upon him, not upon ourselves. So each Sabbath... We rejoice in his goodness and praise him. And it's also the eternal link between the perfection of Eden in the past and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth in the future. So the Sabbath calls us back to our roots. It's a link to our family of origin. The Sabbath has been observed continuously since the time began. It is an unbroken connection back through the time to our creation. It keeps us focused on the glorious truth that we are children of God. It calls us to an intimate, close relationship with Him. It represents who made us and who redeemed us. Also makes an impact 
in our personal lives influences our attitudes, our choices, and our actions between one another and the Lord, our Creator and Redeemer. Beautifully put, Lydia. So let's talk about the relevance of the Sabbath to us in the 21st century. Ken, how do we answer this question for our listeners from Revelation? Is God still our creator and redeemer in the 21st century? Does he still want us to worship on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, to show him our devotion and for us to recognize that he is our savior? Can you have a look at uh, Revelation 14 verses 9 to 12 and have a talk about this? Certainly. I think the relevance of the Sabbath has been it's worth quite well up until now, and I think uh, listeners would understand that this is a very important thing, but especially now as we're in the days that we're in just prior to the return of Jesus. We read in Revelation 14, verses 9 to 12, and before I read this, I will point out there's much in this, and we do not have time today to go through all of it, other than a couple of important points. It goes as... Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment shall ascend forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. We worship the beast and his image. And who, whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, as we said, there's a lot in this, but this specifically talks about our last days. And as we've mentioned over the last few programs, the main subject, the main challenge in the last days is worship, who we worship. Worshiping God in the 21st century is more important than ever because, as we have heard, the hour of his judgment has come. We are living in the last days of earth's time before Jesus returns, soon to take his people to heaven. This earth, which is falling apart and mankind who are out of control and causing chaos everywhere, is going to get much, much worse. People's only hope of surviving what is coming is to accept Jesus as their Savior and acknowledge and praise God. We cannot emphasize enough the importance of worshiping God on his day, Saturday. God's judgment is soon to fall upon the earth. And as we have mentioned before, when Jesus returns, there will only be two types of people on this earth, those who worship God and those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus and those who follow the teachings of the false church. The Bible makes it very clear that worshiping God in the last days is critically important. And as been mentioned before, worship just doesn't mean going to church one day, waking, singing psalms. Your everyday life, how you live your life, how you express yourself to others and how you help others as you can. We're talking about worship. And in John chapter 4 and verse 23, here again is Jesus talking and he says, Yet a time is coming 
and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So I just want to answer a question here because it relates very much to what we're talking about. To worship God in the spirit means it must be from the heart. It must be sincere. It must be motivated by our love for God and with gratitude for what he's done for us. A lot of people, I would say, worship God in the spirit. But there are two things, spirit and truth. The second part of what Jesus was talking about was worshipping God in the truth. Well, it means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture, which is what we're talking about today. It must be informed by who God is and what he's like. Our worship must be rooted in and tethered to the, the realities of biblical revelation. Worship is not meant to be formed by what feels good, but by the light of what is true. Now, we've been talking a lot about worshipping on the Sabbath. Why do we do this? Because God commands us to. He tells us to remember to worship on the Sabbath. There's a special reason there. Because if we don't, it's very easy to let go of God. And that's not what he wants. To save us, if we make it shift away from God, we won't be saved. So we must worship in spirit and in truth, according to what God's will is. A couple of uh, points that I'll uh, try and put as succinctly as I can. First one is that um, when I was reading through, I came across a statement that was made in the book of Isaiah when Israel was about to be overrun by the Assyrians. Hezekiah, the king at the time, appealed to God to protect them and look after them on the basis of the fact that, Lord, you created the heavens and the earth. So there's the connection between redemption and uh, acknowledging God as the creator. Then I went to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, when the disciples are under severe persecution, they appeal to God that you are the one who created the heaven and the earth. Uh, give us boldness to speak your words so that uh, your name may be glorified. Now, those two texts, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, both appeal to God. Notice in the New Testament, they don't appeal for protection. They actually appeal to God to give them boldness to present his word boldly. I think we've laboured this point, I feel, over the last couple of studies and probably with good reason. But here's something that just occurred to me that I thought might be helpful. If we worship God on any basis other than the fact that he is the creator, that fits in perfectly with Revelation 13 with the worship of the beast in his image. Maybe, Nick, there's an opportunity for us further down the track to have a study on day one day on the difference between the worship of the true God, which we have looked at, and the worship of the beast in his image. Because any Christian organisation or any organisation that chooses to worship God, as they put it, on the ba any other basis that other than he is the creator of themselves and heaven and earth is false worship. And I think really that summarizes it pretty well. This is why Revelation 14, 7 calls us back to the worship of God as the creator. I would like to appeal to those who are listening to this program. 
If you have never considered it from this angle, please consider that if you really want to worship God, as Len has said, in spirit and in truth, the way to do it is to worship him as the creator. And what is the sign of the worship of him as the creator? It's the Sabbath day. Yes, my dear friend, as you are hearing here today, it's very important uh, to worship God, the creator. And we have that wonderful book prepared for you today called The Great Controversy Countdown. It's a study guide presented in a workbook format is ideal for group or even personal study. It's carefully selecting quotations led to thought or discussion questions with plenty of space for writing answers and notes. With each question will help guide our study and take us back to God's word. Why not to request this book right now, my dear friend? Sending a text message to 04-888-80831. The code is SAB1. Just uh, quickly, what occurred to me just now as we're talking about the Sabbath, we we, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the Lord's Sabbath. And, and there may be some listeners who are thinking, why is this? I mean, we were trying to give them reasons, but um, why all this emphasis on the Sabbath? I think of Exodus 20 again, and, uh, and Lydia read the Sabbath commandment out from that chapter. But uh, it finishes with these words in verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I think that's significant. What does hallowed mean? Doesn't it mean to put it aside for a special use, to make it holy? Uh, if we, I think of a painter who paints a picture. When it's all finished, what does he do? Doesn't he put his signature underneath? When a car manufacturer uh, finishes making a car, what do they do? They put a badge on it, don't they? And doesn't that indicate ownership? Well, the Sabbath belongs to the Lord. He made it and he put it apart, set it aside for a very special use. And that hasn't changed. And like I said previously, uh, Jesus, when he was here, he made no comment at all about a changing of the Sabbath commandments. Quite the contrary, in fact, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He gave us the ideal example of observing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy and, and giving it the importance that it deserves and also an example of how we should hallow the Sabbath day. So um, I, I thought that was just uh, interesting to um, to point out. Yes. Um, Ken, you had something you wanted to say. Yes, I, I want to say to our listeners that if you're hearing this for the first time about Saturday being the true Sabbath, it comes as a shock and probably an unbelief. Now, in my case, uh, I was in the conventional church as Pentecostal for many years, and I thought I knew the Bible reasonably well. But then a friend one day said to me, someone had told them that the Sabbath was on Saturday. Well, I just burst out laughing. He says, don't be silly. It must be some cult or something. Anyway, they said, they've given me a DVD. Would you like to watch it? I said, oh, I certainly would. Well, we sat down one night and watched his DVD, and it went through the scriptures in the Bible. As soon as it was over, it was like a light went on in my head, and I thought I could see straight away that Saturday was the Sabbath. So I, I checked it out, of course, my Bible. Yes, exactly as we've been uh, speaking about these last few weeks. 
Saturday is God's Sabbath. So then you have to make a decision. I understand that many people here in a, outside the normal run of churches have got friends and family there. But at the end of the day, you have to realize, do you put people first or put God first? Your decision. But God wants you to worship him. And by doing so, you have to worship on the Sabbath. Revelation then reveals the events of Christianity from beginning to end. And we've been looking at the book of Revelation and the end times. We know that Jesus hasn't returned to this earth yet, but we know that he's coming very soon. And we also know from Revelation 14 that worship is going to be a very important issue in these last days. And we know that worship involves the uh, Ten Commandments and the keeping. We know also that the keeping of the Sabbath is timeless. It began in Genesis and continues throughout Bible history until the establishment of God's final kingdom. In Revelation 13.8, it refers to redemption came before creation in the mind of God. Therefore, in the 20th century, if God is still our creator and redeemer, then the Sabbath is still relevant because it demonstrates glory to God for eternity. Joe, can you read uh, Genesis 2.1-3 where the Sabbath is mentioned before sin came into the world? Yes, that's a great point, Denise. Um, interesting, isn't it, that some some say that the Sabbath was introduced because of sin, but it predates sin, as we can see in these verses, and I'll read them. It says um, in Genesis 2, 1 to 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And others have also alluded to these texts in their comments. There are also some, Denise, who believe the seventh-day Sabbath was only for the Jews, that it's a Jewish Sabbath and no longer relevant. But there weren't any Jews in Eden, were there? In fact, here in these verses is evidence that the Sabbath The seventh-day Sabbath was always an intended part of creation instituted before Adam and Eve sinned. The seventh-day Sabbath was not something that pointed to a future event, such as the sacrifices or ceremonial feasts and other Sabbaths. The seventh-day Sabbath was not nor has ever been part of the ceremonial law. It was never abolished or nailed to the cross In fact, it is an integral part of the Ten Commandments, as many have already alluded to, being the fourth commandment and is part of the first four which pertain to the appropriate worship of God. And it is specific. It's not to do as I please. I can't render worship as I see fit or what suits my lifestyle or my tastes. If we are serious of honouring God, then we need to examine the first four commandments. And we know the other six relate to how we treat others. The Sabbath or the seventh-day Sabbath is a medium. And now there could be a better word, but I've come up with medium through which the divine and human can commune. Isn't it amazing, incredible and marvelous that the CEO of the universe, and I'm speaking in human terms, the CEO of the universe chooses to clear his diary a whole day each week to spend it with us. What an unthinkable privilege. God's desire has always been to be with us, and the Sabbath is a block of time dedicated to us to fellowship with him. 
throughout eternity. Len, Joe has talked about Sabbath at the beginning of um, the creation of this world, but Revelation also talks about the Sabbath at the end of um, time after Jesus comes. Can you look at Revelation 21.1 and talk about the link between the text that Joe read and uh, so the first creation and the new creation? Okay, Matthew 5.5, one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Which earth? This earth? Well, that's not much. It's filled with trouble and problems. They're just forecasting in the next five years the earth will experience the hottest time ever. No, God is going to make things new. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. So God is going to make a new creation. So he had an old creation, which we've spoken about a lot, and there's going to be a new creation. And then I read in Isaiah 66:23 about when things are made new, it says from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. <clears throat> you know, the old covenant was finished, the sacrificial uh, sacrifice of animals for forgiveness. But, you know, the Sabbath was never got rid of. And God's saying here in Isaiah 66, as I just read, right through from creation through our time, and even when all things are made new, the Sabbath will continue because in it we honour the Lord our Maker. Thank you, Len. I'd like to finish with a quote from the book Desire of Ages about the enduring nature of the Sabbath, and it goes like this. The Sabbath was not for Israel merely, but for the world. It had been made known to man in Eden, and like other precepts of the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments, it is of imperishable obligation. Of that law of which the Fourth Commandment forms a part, Christ declares, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. So long as heavens and the earth endure, the Sabbath will continue as a sign of the Creator's power, and when Eden shall bloom on earth again, God's holy rest day will be honoured by all beneath the sun. From one Sabbath to another, the inhabitants of the earth will go up to worship before me, says the Lord. Well, my dear friend, uh, uh, to continue to study more and understand more, why not to request the free book which we have prepared for you, The Great Controversy Countdown. You can do that by sending a text message to 04888-80831 with the code SAB1. We are talking today about uh, Sabbath and the end. What an important subject. God created from the beginning Sabbath for us all to enjoy, to worship Him and to be part of His creation. And He will love to continue to worship in the Sabbath day in these days and for eternity, as it was mentioned. I'd like to just pray that uh, God will lead and direct us when we need to make some changes in our life. Dear Father in heaven, 
We thank you so much for the privilege to worship you in all truth, in body and spirit. Help us, Lord, to give our hearts to you fully mm-hmm. and not to be trapped in anything which these lives can obstruct us to know you more. If it's anything in our life, Lord, which we don't do as you require us to do, please show yes. us, Lord, and help us to make ourselves right with you. We thank you so much for your loving kindness and long suffering for each one of us. We pray that you will bless each one of us listening to this program today, that we may be in harmony with you in all things. I pray in Jesus name. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. Indeed, a very important study. And the reason why we emphasized on the Sabbath, even though it's not popular these days, is because the enemy of God and the enemy of uh, us all, he will try to deceive us and to put in place anything else, but not to find ourselves uh, worshipping the Creator. And how beautifully uh, was put into the fourth commandment that by keeping the Sabbath is to worshiping the creator. We are inviting you, my dear friend, to keep following with us in this uh, series of studies because we are going to talk about a city called confusion. That will be a very important study too. Until then, may God richly bless you. And we're inviting you to continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.